Welcome to the services today at Ranchero Drive Baptist Church. Man, we're glad to have you here that are present in the services as well as those that will be watching uh, in the uh, hours and, and days to come. And we so appreciate you being with us today. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. <clears throat> what the Lord put on my heart. Thank you for praying for me. And uh, man, it just makes such a difference. As I'm studying and preparing, I like knowing what I'm supposed to do. Amen. And, and I'm sure that you would like me to know what I'm supposed to do. And, uh, and so uh, let's read these passages, Acts chapter 16, familiar verses. And, uh, and I, I want to speak to you this morning about the greatest question that was ever posed by a man. The greatest question. The Bible has a lot of questions in it and a lot of answers. But I think this to be one of the greatest questions. And we want to look at Paul's answer to that great question. Notice with me, Acts chapter 16, find your place, verse 25. The Bible says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, waking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all, we are all here. Then he called for a light. And sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's a great question to which there is some great answers. And so uh, let's pray one more time. Father, I so thank you, Lord, for the truth of the Bible. Thank you, dear God, for Luke recording these passages for us and Father, I pray that your will would be done this morning. And Lord, that you'll speak to every heart on the inside as I'm speaking on the outside. And Holy Spirit, I need you to deliver this message, Lord. I can't do it by myself, nor would I want to or even try. Lord, I'm dependent upon you, and I need you, Lord. And I pray you'll help me to communicate your truth to your people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, the... The context of this passage is where Paul and Silas, they have been arrested. If you were to read a little, uh, look, look in verse 19. This is in the region, this is in Philippi. And you know, it's the story of the Philippian jailer. And in Philippi, uh, you know, they, there was this woman who had been following them around and she was possessed of a devil. And Paul got tired of hearing this woman speak about her things and uh and so he, he, uh, he dealt with her <clears throat> and cast that devil out, if you will. And she was no longer possessed. And man, it made the men of that town angry because that was their livelihood. They were, she would, they were being paid like as she would, sort of like a fortune teller or whatever. And, uh, and uh, just let me throw this out here. A lot of that stuff that you see that comes up certain times on the television and, you know, their advertisers, don't, don't believe all that stuff. Amen. And, uh, and don't fall for that. 
And uh, we, we have a Bible, amen, to help direct us. I don't need to, to look at the stars. I'm not supposed to worship them anyway, amen. God wants us to worship the creator of the stars, not the creation. All right, I just threw that out there for you. But, but here this woman was no longer capable of doing those things, and the town was upset, and they hauled Paul and Silas into jail. Notice what it said, look at verse 20. And brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. They weren't even allowed to walk around. They weren't allowed to do any of that. They were held fast. And so, so at midnight, we read here, at midnight, this is what happened. And, uh, and so this is the circumstance around which we find this great question that is being posed. And it's while he's under deep conviction that he asked this most important con uh, c question, if you will. Yeah, I believe in all of the New Testament. That's my opinion. And, uh, and it says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? But we have to ask the question, saved from what? Saved from what? Well, being saved, that's a Bible word. It's not a Baptist word, though we use it being Baptist. I'm a Christian first, a Baptist by conviction. But, but that word saved is a Bible word. And it means simply to be delivered. Delivered from what? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Delivered from what? It means to be delivered from sin's penalty. It means to be delivered, rescued, if you will, from sin's power and influence and one day, man, one day in that day that's going to be one day, it means to be delivered from the very presence of sin when we go home to be with our Savior. And so this is what this Bible word means to be saved. It means to be delivered from the penalty power and one day from the presence of sin. And so how did Paul answer this man's question? You know, he was in crisis of soul. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, I want you to see, number one, first of all, that Paul answered with simplicity. He answered with simplicity. And you know, the gospel is intended to be simple. It's intended to be understood by all men and women, boys and girls, everywhere, because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all, A-double-L, that all should come to repentance, that all should come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would he make it hard when it was given in simplicity? And Paul even addresses that when men try to make it more difficult, if you will. And he talked about being moved away from the simplicity that is in Christ. And so do. Well, notice what they said. What must we do? And I'll say again, man, there's nothing to be done. And so the Bible says that we're to believe on the Lord Jesus and we should be saved. You know, a lot of folks are still confused about this issue, this matter of the doing. But understand that, that Bible salvation is completely and solely something that belongs to the Lord. It is a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of that sinner as they come under conviction. Now, listen to what John chapter 16 says. 
You don't have to turn there, but, but the Lord Jesus speaking said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. I'm in verse seven. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And those three works, God, the Holy Spirit, is going to do in the heart of that person who comes under the sound of the preaching of the gospel. He's going to convince the world of sin. You know, if a man doesn't believe that they are sinners, they're not going to take the, they're not going to take the remedy for their sin. I had to be convinced about that. And I suspect you had to be convinced about that. When God looked at us, this is how he saw us. He saw us as being unclean and unrighteous and ungodly before him in his holiness. And he sent the spirit of God to do that so that we might come to that understanding to see ourselves as he sees us. But the religious nature of man is always about, if you will, about doing because they think that salvation is something that can be earned. It's like it's a reward rather than being a gift. The good deeds, you know, some people are counting on baptism. In some places they're meeting today, they're counting on their baptism. Whether they got sprinkled or whether they got dipped, whether it was a child or whatever, that's what they're counting on. Listen, beloved, there's no power in the tub. The water has never taken away anyone's sins. It's through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have the remission of sins. Not through water baptism. Baptism follows salvation. It's not a part of the recipe, the prescription for salvation. But it is the first step in obedience to our Lord's command. And I have a problem with someone that says they're saved, but they refuse to be baptized. I have a problem with that. There's something wrong in that, if you will, with their, quote, birth. Because, you know, when a man gets saved, he wants to do the will of God. That's what changes about him. And, and so a baptism follows salvation. For some people this morning, they're going to partake of the sacraments. They're going to have a cup, and they're going to have some wafers, or they're going to have some unleavened bread today. And they're going to say that that is the thing that gives them life. And I say unto them, and I say unto you that are here this morning that, that, beloved, that is not the means of salvation. Those are symbols of, of the both the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But partaking of those symbols does not give life in and of itself. It's a personal relationship where our faith is placed in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about doing, it's about what's already been done for us on Calvary. You can't add to what he's done. You know, people that observe Lent, you know, there's a, that's going to come up in the springtime. It's, I think it's the 40 days before Easter or whatever. And, you know, I, I talked to someone about that and they said, well, you know, I'm going to give up coffee. And one said, I'm going to give up chewing gum. And one, one of them said, I'm going to give up candy. You know, to compare those things to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, that's offensive to God. Uh, to do that, to say that those are on the same level as him dying and giving his life, you know, the, 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 the guiltless, if you will, for the guilty and, uh, and for us. And to compare those things as the same, and I'm telling you, it, it's, it's offensive to God. That's all I can say. It's offensive to the Lord to put those on the same level and equate them as the same as if, as if something that I could do would add to what the Lord Jesus has done. It's not possible. 
It's not possible. And so it is Jesus Christ plus nothing and Jesus Christ minus nothing that brings about our salvation. And so, so it is a work of the Holy Spirit. He convinces the world of sin. He convinces the world of righteousness. What? That we don't have the righteousness of God in ourselves. When we were born into this world, we were born sinners by nature. And as that develops in our life, then we are sinners by choice. I chose to do some of the things that I did. And so this matter of sin, that's the wrong things that we do. And the other aspect of it are the right things that we don't do. And we had to be convinced about that. And so the Spirit of God brought conviction in my life. It happened on that Saturday as I was reading my wife's Bible and it said, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. And I began to wonder in myself, hey, how do you get your name in that book? That God, the Holy Spirit was letting me, if you will, believe that little bit right there that this was true and that I knew that my name wasn't written down. <clears throat> it hadn't been placed in there. It also says it convinces the world not only of sin and of righteousness, but of judgment. And, and beloved, there is a judgment coming. There's a judgment that's coming. And that's the reason why it said it's appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the what? The judgment. Men are going to stand before God. The unsaved are going to stand before him at the great white throne judgment. Listen, there's no, there's no trusting Christ on the other side of death. There's no trusting Christ, if you will, for the... For, for, uh, for the world, you know, after the fact that they have died and been buried and their soul has gone back to stand before God, that's not going to happen. There's not going to be. He's either, he's either Lord and Savior on this side of the grave or he's going to be our judge on the other side. And so, and so too it is here. So he answered with simplicity, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And so, but that believing, there's a work that's being done by the Holy Spirit and this man this jailer, if you will, was under conviction. Think about what had happened in that jail. What did you say? Well, man, I, because here's why I say this. Because a person just doesn't wake up one day or decide that today I think I'm going to be a Christian. It's not like that. Jesus said in John 6 and 44 that no man can come except the Father draw him. And so there is this drawing of the Spirit of God when a man begins to think, about eternity. A man begins to think about his own mortality. A person begins to think about where am I going to be when I die? Where am I going to go when I die and I leave this world? You see, this jailer, he understood some things. He heard them singing and praising. That probably wasn't the typical behavior of most of the occupants of his prison. What were they doing? Man, they would be in there moaning, groaning, griping or whatever, carrying on crying, regretting what they had done. But what are Paul and Silas doing, man? They're singing praises. They're rejoicing. Man, I mean, that, that, that's just totally different out of character, if you will, for your average prisoner. And then there's this earthquake. He's awakened out of his sleep, and he was charged with looking after these men that they would not escape. He was charged with that. And you have to understand something about a Philippian jailer or the jailers of those days. Roman jailers, if your prisoners got away, as the jailer, you were responsible, and therefore either you would be executed or you would have to serve out the remainder of their sentence. And for him, rather than serving in his own cell, serving in his own jail, living under those conditions, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself because he thought that was a better choice. But what did Paul say? He said, man, do thyself no harm. We are all here. 
That was something different. I mean, he understood. He knew that what would men do if they had just half a chance? Man, they would, they would beat feet. They would do whatever they could to escape. And they didn't. They didn't. And so now in awe of those men and probably, and probably in, with some relief when he heard, we're all here. He had heard the message. He had heard the songs. No doubt they were probably trying to talk to other prisoners. I'm not trying to give light where the Bible does it. I just know that the Bible says, so look there in verse 25. Notice what it says. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And, and, and who heard them? And the prisoners. They just weren't talking to themselves in the room right there. The other prisoners heard them as well. And the jailer himself. And so, you know, men are religious by nature. They think by doing their good deeds, that will be their way out to overcome the bad that they've done. Some take the sacraments and ceremonies and rituals. Some believe it's water baptism. Some believe, you know, my parents were born a, a Methodist. I'm, gonna, I'm a Methodist. I'm going to die a Methodist. Or my parents were born Baptist. I'm a Baptist. We're gonna... Beloved, that doesn't make any difference. It's a personal relationship. It's not based upon who your father was or whatever. I mean, if your father lost a thumb, you know, in a, while he was running a saw, it doesn't mean that you're going to be born without a thumb. No, you know, I mean, there's some of, some of the things that people propose, you know, in people's lives. I mean, I even heard somebody say that, you know, because, uh, because God took a rib from Adam that all men have one fewer rib than women. That's not so. You got the same number of ribs, Amen. But there's a lot of foolishness that goes on out there and a lot of it done in the name of religion and Christianity. Don't let anyone move you away from the simplicity that's in Christ. This great question Paul answered with simplicity. Salvation is not a reward. It's a gift. It cannot be earned. That's what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, right? For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And plainly says, not of works, lest any man should boast. God is not a debtor to any man or woman or child. Oh, he's offered salvation as a gift because of his love for mankind. So Paul answered with simplicity when he said believe. And what that simply means, it means to commit to, to put your trust upon. That's what believe on the Lord Jesus has to do with. And so this man is under conviction and he comes to them. And then Paul not only answers with simplicity, if you will, but he also answers with singularity. There are not many roads to heaven. There are not many roads to salvation. There's only one way. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior and only means of salvation. Doesn't, doesn't Acts chapter 4 verse 12? Go, go there with me. Keep your place in Acts 16. Acts chapter 4, look in verse 12. Notice what it says, familiar passage of Scripture. It says, neither is there salvation in any other. You're not going to get there without him. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. <clears throat> neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we, mu we must be saved. Jesus Christ is not a way. He is the way. There's no other way, and I, 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 know I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir here this morning, but nonetheless, beloved, we ought to rejoice in the simplicity and the singularity of the answer to this greatest question. Amen. Amen. That we have been saved by the grace of God through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
And so he answered with singularity. What does that mean? That word Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That word Lord means master. And that's what happens when a person really gets born again. He becomes the master of your life. And that means he's the master. He's the boss. And we're, we quit telling him what to do. Amen. And we quit doing our own thing and we're interested in doing what he wants us to do. And, uh, and, you know, and, and, you know, some people got the idea, and, I, and you see it a lot of times between the, uh, uh, around celebrities or, or musicians, those that have been made famous or whatever. They, they, talk, they talk about, you know, well, I, I wear this little cross. I talk about God or I, I talk about this. Well, I thank God and I want to thank my family. But it has never changed the way that they live. And Jesus even will say, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? There's a problem with that. And there doesn't need to be. When he is the Savior, he is the Master. That's what Lord means. And then Jesus, that's the name of his mediation. He's a mediator. Remember, that's what 1 Timothy 2.15 says. For there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Mary is not the mediatrix. Mary is not the means of, Mary is not the bridge between a holy God and sinful men. It is Christ Jesus alone. Now, what is, the, what is the difference between a mediator and an arbiter? It doesn't say, for there is one man between, there's one arbiter. An arbitrator is someone who tries to settle a difference between two or more parties, but he has no investment in either one. He is strictly neutral and impartial in his arbitration. A mediator, however, knows something about what this party is going through, and he also knows something about what that party is going through, and therefore, between by knowing those things, he is able to bring mediation. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he was 100% God and 100% man. He knew what it was like to suffer. He knew what it was like to bear sins in his body, and he also knew what it was like to be a holy God. Amen! And because of that, he can be the mediator and bring men back to God. Man. You know, we sing a song in our songbook. It says, what a savior. Man, what a savior. He ought not to go away today and say, boy, what a message. It ought to be, no, what a savior. Amen. What a savior. Always. What a savior. He answered with singularity. He didn't say there's three different ways. You know, that's what the world tries to say. Well, he just a God. No, he is the God. He is the word. Amen. He is the way. And, and the word Christ, that means the anointed one. That's where the word Messiah comes from. Even, even the name Jesus, you know, you know, Jesus is a Greek transliteration. That's a 25 cent word. It's a Greek transliteration of the Jewish word Yeshua, Joshua. And what does Joshua mean? It means Jehovah Savior. That's why when, when, when a, a Jew gets born again, that Jesus becomes Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, the sent one, the anointed one. The Lord didn't anoint a bunch of men. Now, there were other, other, other men in the Bible and other men in those times that had the name Jesus, but there was only one who was anointed above his fellows. Only one. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He, that's why when the Lord said that, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. What a bold 
thing to say. But it was true. And it is true to this day. There's only one way. And I can say that without hesitation or reservation, that there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It didn't say may be saved. It said must be saved. The Holy Spirit could have used any word that he wanted to in there. And he used the word must. The same word that Jesus told Nicodemus. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Because you're not going to get in. Because you look nice. You're not going to get in because you carry a King James Bible. It's not going to, uh, it's not going to happen because you wear a dress, ladies. It's not going to happen, men, because your hair is short. That's not the way. Jesus Christ is the way. Faith alone in Him. All right? Now think about it. I mean, when we say He was, when He answered singularly, what He just said was that there was only one way. Now think about it. The Bible says in the book of Romans that He was delivered for our offenses. He was delivered for our... Listen to what this says from Isaiah. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. God punished his own son in place of punishing us. Mm. That's exactly right. It's hard for us to contemplate that. Man, if somebody were to, you think about it. We, we have sons. I have a son. I know some of you have sons and all. You might, if somebody, when they were growing up and somebody was trying to hurt them, man, we would have reared up. We, we, man, we would do whatever we could to protect our family. We just wouldn't tolerate that. But the Lord did it. That's why John wrote, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. It's just hard for us. I, I, I never want to get over. I just never want to get over that. Amen. What he did. Yes. And why he did it. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's where I was. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's what he did. Somehow Christ became infused. He, the Bible says he bore our sins in his own blood. I don't know how the Lord did it, but in those moments he became infused with that and became sin for us when he knew no sin from all of eternity past and those 33 and a half years he lived here as a man. But that's not the end of the story. Thank God. Amen. The rest of that verse says he was delivered for our offenses, but he was ra and raised again for our justification. Raised for our justification. What that signifies to us in his singularity, you know what? There are some people today, they're burning incense. And maybe they're going to pray to, they're going to pray to Allah. They're going to pray to a Buddha. They're going to pray to Confucius. They're going to pray to Muhammad and all those things. But you know what? All of those men, their bones are still in the ground. Their coffins. You can still go back and you can mark the place. You can see the place and see where they're. But you know, but for the believer, beloved, there's an empty tomb. This separates him from every other person on the planet. 
He was raised again for our justification. What does that mean? It simply means that God was satisfied with the sacrifice. If he had not been, he would not have been raised from the dead. He'd been like every other man. But God was satisfied with his lamb. John said, John 1, 29, he said, Behold the lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. In the Old Testament, they were only covered up. But Jesus, when he came and died, he took them away for everyone that trusts Christ as their Savior. Oh, beloved, he came into the world to save sinners. That's what 1 Timothy 1.15 says. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul said, of whom I am chief. I am chief. And Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Laboring how? Laboring under the burden of sin. Laboring under all the demands of the law. Do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Do this. And he said, what? And I will give you rest. And he said, what? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he took all those things. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Paul answered with simplicity. Paul answered this Philippian jailer with singularity. And Paul also answered selflessly. You say selflessly, what do you mean? It just means, remember Paul could have escaped. He and Silas could have said, let's go. Remember when they let Peter out? Peter, I don't think that he was trying to linger. No, he just, was, I don't know, he just wasn't sure if he was awake or dreaming or whatever. And that angel had to get a hold of Peter. You know, Peter, bless his heart, Peter, you know, he had to be shown three times about, you know, that, that trance or whatever, seeing the sheet before he believed. You know, the angels had to help him. Then they opened the door and said, come on, Peter, let's go. Let's get out of here. But that wasn't the situation here. Paul knew what would happen to that jailer if they had left. And so rather than thinking about himself or even thinking about Silas, he stayed on behalf of that jailer because he didn't want to see that man die. And you know, Jesus said, no man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. You know, did, what did he tell them? They were weeping. And he said, don't weep for me. He said, don't you know, I could call 10 legions of angels to come and get me. There's a song that they sing. It says, he wouldn't come down. Oh, no. He wouldn't come down. Though 10,000 angels were camped all around. <laughs> Man, he wouldn't come down. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking selflessly. And that's what Paul was thinking about. He stayed in that jail to reach one man. <coughs> Just one. But wasn't that like the Lord? Jesus stayed where he was. Somebody said, well, was it nails that held him there? Someone cleverly said, no, it wasn't nails. It was his love. It was his love. That kept him. It's love. Gosh. For wicked sinners like me. Paul had that man on his mind. Jesus had us on his mind. You know, they asked, I think it was R.G. Lee, went to, went to visit in the Holy Land. 
And uh, the first time he'd ever been, and this was back, I think, maybe in the 50s or whatever, and he was on one of those tours. And the tour guide asked him, said, uh, has anybody ever been here before? And R.G. Lee was the only one in the tour group raised his hand. And he said, oh, really, sir? He said, when were you here? He said, I was here 2,000 years ago when, when Christ died for me. I was here with him. And beloved, it's that we died there with him. He died for us and as us that we might have salvation. Like the Lord Jesus who had others on his mind, Paul had that man on his mind. And though he was in crisis of soul, he had to make a decision. He had to make a decision. Paul said, he said, he said sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Now watch. Look at verse 32. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord. I'm back in Acts 16. I'm sorry. Acts 16, verse 32. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord. Do you remember the Ethiopian eunuch? He said, man, he said, I, I need to know, am I reading about this man or some other man? And the Bible says that Philip got in the chariot, he went to the same passage, and he preached unto him Jesus. Amen. It is through this word. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This man was drawn by their love and they explained further and that conviction came and we know the Philippian jailer, he gets in. Notice what it says. And he took them and they spake the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized uh-oh, there he is, somebody that got in, wants to follow the Lord in baptism, and he was baptized that night, and all his straight away. In other words, man, it had an impact. When Dad brought the gospel home through those men, it had an impact on his family. And they were saved. Believing with God with all his house. Man, what a selfless thing to do. What Paul did. What a selfless thing our blessed Savior did for us. For the likes of us. Man. It is the greatest question ever been posed. And the greatest answer that was ever given. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Do you know him today? I mean, he did the biblical thing and trusted Christ. Do you know the Savior today? Or do you know for sure? Do you know that you know that you know that your sins have been forgiven and that Christ is yours? If you don't know, man, someone will take a Bible today. We'll talk with you about it. And you can trust Christ as your Savior. If you, if, at Those of you that might be listening at home, if you don't know who he is, man, you can get a hold of us. Through, that, uh, through, the, through the Facebook page or through the YouTube. There's a way to get in contact with us. We'll be glad to take a Bible. Come by and see you. Show you what, what you need to know that you may in turn may trust Christ as your Savior. God's not willing that any should perish and neither are we. We want you to, he would have all men, all men. That's what, you know what A-L-L means in the Greek? It means all. It means everyone. To have all men come to know him as their savior. Let's pray this morning. Sister, will you come? Father, I so thank you for the precious word of God. Thank you for this Philippian jailer, Lord. Thank you for, for Paul's love for him. And Lord, above all, 
Thank you for your love for the likes of us, for sinful men dying in our place, being raised again for our justification. I'm so glad you lived that sinless life that you could be the propitiation for our sins. Lord, I thank you that you didn't make it hard to be saved. Not based upon money, not based upon our race or our class in society. But the fact that we're willing to admit that we're sinners in need of a Savior. God, I thank you that that's the prayer that gets your attention. Lord, I pray for these that are assembled here and those at home. That, Father, one day they may call upon you as their Savior. I pray that you'd have your way in the invitation this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.